Today's reading is from the book of Acts, chapter 5, beginning of verse 17, and that's on page 1698 in your pew Bible. Then the high priests and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the door of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there, so they went back and reported. We found the jail securely locked, with the guards standing at the doors, But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were puzzled, wondering what would come of this. Then someone came and said, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts, teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. Having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in his name, they said. Yet you have filled Israel, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed them, Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Theodos appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, all of his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, In the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of a human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Steve, for bringing us uh, the Word of God this morning. And we continue on in our series on the book of Acts, and uh, we've looked at part of this chapter already, so this uh, story immediately follows 
the story of Ananias and Sapphira. And uh, after that story concludes, you read that the apostles were doing uh, many miracles in uh, in Jerusalem, and the, the Jewish leaders responded to that with great jealousy. And that sort of leads into our text for this morning. So, brothers and sisters in Christ, there's, a, there's an old Stephen King novel that shortly after it was published became a film. I never actually read the book, but I did see the, uh, the movie probably uh, late one night <clears throat> when I couldn't sleep. It was one of those movies that you turn on on TV and it's, uh, you've never heard of it before, you've never seen it, there, there it was. If you're familiar with Stephen King at all, you know that he writes horror novels, and this was actually a horror novel about a car, a 1958 Plymouth Fury. Um, Yes, it's about a car, and this car had a name, Christine. Maybe you've heard of it. Now, I'm not recommending uh, the film to you. I'm not recommending Stephen King to you. It's a rather dark, uh, dark movie, but in the film version of the book, this car has a rather creepy connection to its owner. Arnold is his name. And, and the car sort of takes on this persona of being his jealous girlfriend. And if someone tries to show Arnold too much affection, or on the other hand, if they mistreat Arnold or offend him in some way, hurt him in some way, the car sort of goes into attack mode and basically offs all of Arnold's enemies all by itself. Now, as the movie goes on, people begin to sense that this car sort of has a mind of its own, that it has a, a personality of its own. And, uh, and the car becomes an object of destruction. For instance, a group of vandals one night, they take sledgehammers to the car and basically smash it beyond recognition. But what you find out then is that this car sort of has this miraculous ability to heal itself. The radio eerily lights up and sometimes the music begins to play from the radio and suddenly the dents start to pop out from the car, the tires miraculously refill with air, the engine begins to purr again, and the paint returns to its original red luster. And before you know it, Christine looks like a brand new car all over again. And this happens not once, it happens over and over again in the film, right? The car gets smashed up, beaten beyond recognition, but just when you think it's dead, it's finally dead, that light on the dashboard pops on, maybe the radio starts to play, and it comes back to life. Now, it's, uh, <clears throat> it's an old movie, and uh, you probably shouldn't watch it anyway, so I'm going to ignore my normal spoiler alert. And in the final uh, scene of the film, um, the car is literally crushed at the junkyard, right? And it's turned into one of those four-by-four Um, cubes of steel that you always see in movie shots hanging from a magnetized crane and the thing is dumped on the floor of the junkyard and you think finally this thing is all over and then just before the movie goes dark sure enough you see the little light on the radio start to blink on again and the message is very clear Christine is alive right Christine is alive now Like I said, it's a little dark, and I know it's kind of a strange parallel, but, but, 
Um, Luke tells a very similar story about the church in the book of Acts. And that is that you just can't kill it. You just can't kill the church. The church clearly has its antagonists, right? And, and the book of Acts is very honest about that. In chapter 4, um, Peter and John, they, 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 um, they miraculously heal the beggar who's at the temple gate. And because of that, and because of their proclaiming new life in Jesus Christ, they're arrested by the Sanhedrin. They're brought to trial. They are told never, ever, ever to preach in the name of Jesus Christ again. And what happens? It's not like the church dies and goes away. Rather, they begin to pray for boldness, that they may continue to go on proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what they do. Power is given them to proclaim the name. They do, and the church continues to grow. And then you get to, to chapter 5, and you get pretty much a repeat of, of chapter 4. Only this time, it's not, just, it's not just Peter and John who are arrested, but it's all the apostles who are arrested. They're sent off to jail. But then you find, well, the jail can't actually hold them because an angel comes and, and releases them. And sure enough, there they are again, back in the temple courts, proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ. It's like Christine. She just keeps showing up. It's like a bad penny over and over and over again. So they're brought into court once more with the Sanhedrin, and they're told once again, you've got to stop talking about Jesus Christ and proclaiming life in his name. And then they're saved by some unlikely source. It's Gamaliel of the, the Pharisees, right? One of the Pharisees. He talks about, um, or he talks really the rest of the Sanhedrin off the ledge, talks them down. He says, don't, don't kill these men. Don't put them to death. And so instead the apostles are simply flogged and they're let go. Don't speak in Jesus' name again. But again, that arrest and that <clears throat> punishment just has um, the same effect again. The apostles leave rejoicing this time that they've been honored to suffer in the name of Jesus Christ. And they continue to proclaim the good news and the church continues to grow. And then you find in chapter 6 that the real enemy, the real antagonist of the church is actually the devil himself. And he tries a different tactic, right? He tries to break up the church from the inside. And that's the story we studied a couple of weeks ago where the the Grecian Jews started grumbling and murmuring about the Hebraic Jews that, that they were getting all the food and the Grecian Jews weren't getting any and it threatened the unity of the church. But what happened? The Holy Spirit raised up new leaders in the church, people filled with the Holy Spirit who made sure that everyone in the church was treated in the same way that they were all treated with the grace and love of Jesus Christ. And you read that the people around, they saw that, and they again started to come into the church, and the church continued to grow. Right after that, you get the account of Stephen, which we're going to look at more in depth next week. But Stephen is actually stoned to death for witnessing to Jesus. But even then, the church continues to to grow. Even martyrdom does not discourage the church. And over and over again, you see 
that those who are hostile to the church and to the name of Jesus try to destroy her, try to put her to death, but she just refuses to die. She keeps popping back to life. It's like trying to submerge a beach ball. Every time you push it under, it pops back to the surface. It's like Christine. That little light keeps popping back on and the church comes back to life. It's like it's indestructible. And friends, all of this reminds me of Pilate's words near the end of the book of Matthew. If you recall, Jesus has been put to death. He's in his tomb. And some of the leaders of the Jews, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they come to Pilate and they say, hey, remember, this guy said that in three days he was going to come back to life. And so we want you to make the tomb secure. And what does Pilate answer? He says, okay, why don't you go and make the tomb as secure as you know how? And his words are just sort of dripping with irony, aren't they? I mean, how do you make a tomb secure? What do you do? You seal it with a stone. You post a guard outside of it. But how do you hold back resurrection? How do you hold back the life of Jesus Christ? How do you keep it from, from seeping out of that tomb and into the world? How do you keep Jesus from saving and from redeeming? In Acts chapter 5, it's the wisdom of Gamaliel that saves the day for the apostles, okay? I want you to look, um, or I want to look with you just briefly at what Gamaliel sa says here, <clears throat> but also at what he doesn't say. So what he says is basically this. Look, if this movement is from God, it's going to survive. You're not going to be able to stop it. If this movement isn't from God... It's not going to survive, okay? God's either going to make it survive or he's not. You don't want to be in that position of fighting against God. And I think all of us would pretty much be in agreement with Gamaliel. We would say, yeah, that's pretty good wisdom, buddy. At least if you believe in the sovereignty of God, right? God's always going to win. The Pharisees strongly believed in God's sovereignty, that he gets his way in the end. And so, hey, we want to be fighting for God and not against God. Good wisdom, Gamaliel. Go, Gamaliel. And yet, as wise as this man might have been, we also have to understand that he was not a believer in Christ. He was not. At least, at least when he spoke these words, he was not a believer. He was an outside, outsider to the disciples, outsider to the church. And so his view was one of those looking in from the outside. And as an outsider, I think Gamaliel simply misses the point. And I think Luke wants to make sure that we don't. So let's look for a second at what Gamaliel doesn't say here. And what I mean is, he really doesn't seem to follow his line of logic, his own line of logic. For instance, Gamaliel gives us two examples of leaders or rebels who gathered a following, and then they what? They died, and their followers dispersed. Gathered a following, their followers dispersed. And then he draws the conclusion that, hey, if the followers don't hang together, then this movement must not be from God. 
okay? If they do hang together, it is from God. However, Gamaliel seems more focused on movements than on people. Because wouldn't a more logical um, conclusion be something like this? If the followers of Jesus, therefore, don't disperse, if the followers of Jesus remain united, wouldn't that point to the fact that their leader is actually not dead, but he's alive? That's the logic, right? That's his own logic. While this leader was living, they've got a group of united followers. As soon as they die, the followers disperse. These followers have not dispersed. You can't seem to kill them off. You can't, you can't seem to injure them. They just keep coming back. What does it mean? Well, it must mean that Jesus is still alive. And if you look back at verse 30 of the text, you see that this is exactly, this is exactly what the disciples were proclaiming. There in the court, they said it outright. You killed Jesus. But God raised him up from the dead. He's alive. And this is the message that got the Sanhedrin so riled up that they wanted to kill all the apostles. It's the conclusion that perhaps even Gamaliel didn't want to arrive at, and that is that Jesus is still alive. And so in the end, his advice was, hey, leave these men alone. Just let them be. They'll die off. Better advice, perhaps, would have been, don't leave them alone. Join them. You've got to join these people. There is resurrection life in these men, and so join them. And you do that, how? By putting your own faith in this living one, putting your own faith in Jesus Christ, and you too will become a part of the church and be filled with the life of the Son of God. You see, friends, the church cannot be judged on the terms of failure or success. It cannot even be judged really in terms of life and death. The church is about Jesus. You can put people in the church to death. You can try and defeat it over here, but what happens? You really haven't defeated it at all. You really haven't killed it off. The church bears witness to the living Jesus Christ who actually fills the church. It testifies to this new life that we have in Christ. And as we testify, that new life leaps into a dead world from us and it begins to change and shine light on every nook and cranny of death in this world. In other words, the tomb is not secure, and it never will be. The light of Jesus, the life of Jesus, keeps flowing into this world, and it flows into this world through you and me. It flows through you and me. And so you see, our approach to life is actually very different than Gamaliel's. Gamaliel sort of sees the church as an institution, and an institution you can judge on sort of a pass-fail basis. An institution you can shut down. You can lock the doors. You can chain the doors. You can change the building into office space. The church is dead. It's gone. 
But we believe that the church is an organism. It's filled with the life of Jesus Christ. That life is in each and every one of us. It's in all of us together. And you cannot put that life to death. And so we look at the church differently, friends. Differently than Gamaliel did. Just try and think of it this way. Okay, it wasn't so long ago I had to change a, a flat tire on a bike. Now, I haven't done this since I was a little kid, so it was kind of new to me all over again. And if you've ever done this, <clears throat> uh, you may say I did it all wrong, but you got the rim, and I put the new inner tube on top of the rim, and I put some air in it, okay? And then I had to get the tire on top of the inner tube or the inner tube inside the tire and put it all together, right? So... You get the inner tube on the rim, and then you start putting the tire on, and it, it fits on top quite nicely. And just as you're trying to get the bottom part of the tire on the rim, the tube pops out on the bottom. And it's kind of like herding cats, right? Then you try and shove the, the bottom of the tube in, and it pops out on the side. And you push that side in, and it pops out on the other side, and you totally get frustrated, and, and you just want to quit. But that's kind of what the church is like, friends. That's exactly what the church is like, in fact. You silence it over here, and it comes back to life over here. You see, the life of the resurrected Jesus Christ fills us as a body, fills us as a community, and we witness to this new life. We let it pour from us as individuals, and if we are ever silenced, it just pops out somewhere else. You cannot kill the church. Now, what does that mean for us? Does that mean that as individual believers, when we come under some persecution or, or people begin to push back on our witness in life, what does that mean? That we, just, that we just shut up? That we just swallow our witness and say, well, we'll let somebody else witness in our place? That's not how the early church thought. The early church thought just the opposite. The early church said, if I have my witness stopped and plugged up, it's surely going to arise somewhere else, and so I'm just going to keep on witnessing. I'm going to keep on telling that Jesus is alive. I'm going to keep pouring his life into the world, and if they stop me, I know it's going to come somewhere else. Think about Stephen, right? The first martyr in the church. He's declaring the life of Jesus Christ to the Sanhedrin, to the court. As he is doing that, they're threatening his life. They're telling him, you've got to stop doing this, or basically, we're going to kill you. What does he do? Does he say, okay, yeah, I guess I'm going to stop because, you know, all of this, all of this rides on me, and if they stop me, then, um, then no one's going to witness to the life of Jesus Christ, so I'm just going to let other people do it. No. No. Stephen knows that he's a part of something bigger. And so he says, look, you're not going to stop me. You're not going to silence me. I'm going to continue to declare the name and the resurrection of Jesus Christ into this world until you put me to death. And when you do that, it's going to pop up somewhere else. And it's just going to keep on going. You cannot kill the church. It's a different sort of logic. And I just want to ask, 
Does that logic ring a bell with you and your life at all? Is that the kind of faith you have? Let's say, let's say you're in medicine, all right? And you're concerned at the, at the lack of, of, of how the system imposes a lack of rest on you. Okay? It just doesn't let you rest. And so, and so you decide you need to speak up. You need to say something about this. For your own health, for the sake of your own health, for the health of your relationships and your family, for the health of all of your colleagues, you decide, I've got to say something. I've got to breathe the life of Jesus Christ even into this part of the world. And so you begin to advocate for a healthier way of practicing medicine. When the pushback comes, what do you do? How do you respond? Do you say, yeah, you know, you're right. I, I'm, I'm just going to be quiet. Um, somebody else will have to speak about this. It's not, not my place, not my role. I'm not going to win anything here. Is that what you do? Or do you say, you know, this is a Jesus matter. This is about resurrection life. This is about light coming into a dark world, and it's going to flow through me until someone stops it because I know when someone stops it, if it gets to that point, it's going to pop up somewhere else. It's going to pop up somewhere else because Jesus is alive. And if Jesus is alive, then there is a church. There is a gathering of his disciples, of his people. And that church will continue to proclaim resurrection in his name. Why? Because you can't secure the tomb. The resurrection of life, or the resurrection of Christ, that life continues to leap out of the tomb and into this world, and it does it through us. Friends, that's a different view of the church. He still has a community of witnesses as long as he is alive. And that's how we then think of the church. If Jesus really is alive, then his life fills me, it fills you, it fills the person next to you. If my witness is stopped up, I have faith that it's going to come through you. And if your witness is stopped up, I'm a, I have faith that it's going to happen through you. Because the life of Jesus cannot be contained. It's going to come out through us. That's a different view of the church, friends. It's a different view of what we do here. It's the kind of view that says this. Why do we gather on a Sunday? Why do we stand shoulder to shoulder and worship God? What's happening when we are singing hymns to Jesus with all of these other people around us? Well, what's happening, friends, is we are saying to each other, in the name of Jesus, I've got your back. I've got your back. And so what I want you to do is to continue to go into your workplace, into your marriage, into your parenting, into your school. You go into all of those places and bring the, the resurrected life of Jesus Christ into that place. And if they try and shut you up, if they try and silence you, then it's going to come out through me. 
They can silence you, but your witness is going to come out through me. Because Jesus Christ is alive. He's alive in you. He's alive in me. I've got your back. Friends, is that something that you can say to your neighbor this morning? That if they stop up your witness, that if somehow they prevent the resurrection story of Jesus Christ coming out of your mouth and out of your life, can you say to them, don't worry because it's going to come out of me. I've got your back. Can you say that? We are the church of Jesus Christ, the living one. And by God's grace, our witness shall not die. Let's bow together in prayer. Lord Jesus, you are indeed the living one. Don't ever let us doubt that. Give us the faith, O Lord, the faith to fully believe that you are alive and you are bringing life into every nook and cranny of this world, and you're doing it through us. The tomb cannot be secured. The resurrection life of Christ shall continue to leap out into this world, to every dark place. Give us faith to believe that, and give us faith, Lord, to support each other in that to realize that that's what binds us together indeed. It's that resurrection life of Jesus Christ. If the inner tube is stopped up in one place, it's going to burst out in another because that's who we are, because that's who you are. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.